don't mention it. Mention it all. Mention it all. Woo! I'm fucking earn my own living. What up? Welcome to Know It All. This is uh, your host. We're so excited to kick this off today with a little bit of DJ James Kennedy. Top Man, one of my all-time favorite songs. On this podcast, I'll be covering basically anything of interest to me. So that's recaps of TV shows from the past week, current events, long reads, any number of social or cultural happenings in the world I'm going to talk about. You're going to get this judgmental empath, know-it-all's opinion on it all. Super excited for today's podcast, for my very first podcast. I'm going to be covering um, the first episode of the new season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm going to talk a little bit about returning to being a viewer of Survivor after taking two seasons off. I'm also going to dig in a little bit to Amazon's incredible new documentary, Lorena, about Lorena Bobbitt. And finally, I'm going to just sort of chat a little bit about the increasingly crowded field of Democratic candidates for president. So let's kick this off with a little recap of the first episode of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, you guys, they're back. And I think that after several seasons of kind of boring, like keeping secrets and not really talking about what's going on on camera and sort of like implying different things back and forth and tensions building that we're actually going to have a season this time. I mean, it kicked off with fireworks, literally at Vanderpump Dogs. I mean, let's just talk about Lisa Vanderpump quickly. Like, let's get that out of the way, because that's going to be the big question this season, you guys. I think that the audience is going to be really divided between feeling sympathetic for Lisa Vanderpump and the loss of her brother and sort of everyone seemingly being against her this season. And then the other half of the audience is kind of feeling like it's about time that Lisa Vanderpump got what was coming to her and got called out on her lies and her manipulations. So we all know that the crux of the drama this season is surrounded around this Vanderpump Dogs issue. Um, So the story goes that Dorit adopted not one, but two dogs from Vanderpump Dogs. Now, that we weren't told this on the show. We were, we were just told about the one dog named Lucy Lucy Applejuice, so named by Jagger. And, um, you know, Dorit got these dogs allegedly, and she got them from Vanderpump Dogs. And then the dog supposedly nipped the kids. There's a, a really pathetic picture of PK with his, like, nose that clearly has been nipped allegedly by a dog. And... Um, they decided rather than returning the dogs to Vanderpump Dogs, as one would contractually do, I believe when you adopt a dog uh, in that from a shelter, they just returned poor Lucy Lucy Applejuice to a different shelter. Or what they say is that they thought that she was going to a, a good home with a nice lady. We don't know who this person is, but then that person brought Lucy Lucy Applejuice to another shelter, which is very embarrassing for Vanderpump Dogs. Now, how this has sort of 
transpired, we know from the news, for those of us that pay attention to our, our radar lines, our daily mails, our paper of records, um, then how this has sort of gone down is the story leaked to these types of tabloids and people heard about it and it was all very negative towards Dorit. Now, Dorit and the rest of the cast are saying that LVP leaked the story. And I guess as soon as the first episode aired, LVP somehow got Radar Online and all those people to say that she wasn't the source and that it was allegedly someone else from the cast. I don't really believe that. I mean, I believe that if anything, if if LVP didn't do it, then she had, I don't know, her Vanderpump Dogs guy do it or some other person. But I don't really believe that another housewife is responsible for this leak. But we'll, we're going to have to see the way that things transpire. So all we know at this point is that they, uh, Teddy and Kyle in the first episode show up to Vanderpump Dogs and they brought their daughters there to play with the dogs. And it's very cute. And LVP does this sort of classic LVP thing where the guy who works at Vanderpump Dogs, whose name I obviously can't recall, although we've seen him before on both Vanderpump Rules and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I believe, um, he comes out and he's like, I'm really upset. I'm, I'm, I'm so pissed. And they're all like, Oh, what about? And LVP is like, I don't want to talk about it. We can't talk about it. Do not bring this up on camera. And it's like, first of all, why is the guy mic'd? And why is he bringing it up on camera when she's his boss? Unless she asked him to, I don't know. It just feels like a little suspect to me. And is, is, was kind of a weird twist. So on that point, I'm leaning towards LVP sort of working towards sabotaging Dorit with having her employee relay the story, doing the classic LVP thing of having someone else bring something up. So we're thinking of like Lisa Rinna with the Munchausens. And later Lisa Rinna claimed that LVP and Kyle both had also brought up this Munchausen thing and perhaps had sort of pushed her to be the one to say it on camera. So LVP really likes to, you know, be a sniper from the side, as Erica said in her first season, or a crocodile as, was it a crocodile or an alligator that Tom Girardi called her? It was the gator, I believe. Um, and she loved that. She was like so turned on that time a couple seasons ago when, when her and Ken were dining with Mr. Girardi and, and Erica. Also, just a, a quick aside about Mr. Girardi before we continue. I don't know how many people know this, but when Erica first got on the show, they said, oh, Mr. Girardi, like he worked with Aaron Brockovich and he's, you know, like the movie that's inspired by their work together. So I don't know about you guys, but I assumed that Mr. Girardi was the Albert Finney character in Aaron Brockovich. I mean, I don't know. I just, when I think of the Aaron Brockovich lawyer, I think about Albert Finney's character. So I've been thinking this this whole time. And then Albert Finney passed away recently. Come to find out, may he rest, by the way. I mean, legend, Daddy Warbucks, Aaron Brockovich. I mean, Miller's Crossing, so many more incredible things. Legendary icon. But come to find out that Tom Girardi is actually played by Peter Coyote. Now, like when you close your eyes and you think like, who would play Tom Girardi in a movie? And I know this was like maybe 20 years ago, but like, like when the events of Aaron Brockovich happened, but like, I think definitely Albert Finney over Peter Coyote. 
But um, just just had to to call that one out for those of you out there, those fans that were laboring under the delusion that Tom Girardi was the Albert Finney character. So back to LVP, who we know is a sniper from a side, a gator, all of those things. And when it comes to this dog issue, it did seem a little set up, that whole situation. It definitely made the other girls uncomfortable. And then Kyle and Lisa have this strange interaction where Lisa sort of gives her shit for not coming to Tom Tom. And Kyle basically accuses Lisa of trying to set up the conversation to make it seem like Kyle like doesn't care or isn't a good friend. And this type of stuff has happened before. If we go back, you know, there's many times where Kyle's expressed frustration with Lisa's lack of honesty. And this, this has definitely been a mounting tension. But this is kind of the first time we've seen Kyle like really freak out like that and get super, super mad about it and call Lisa out immediately and and sort of seem like she's not laying down and taking it from Lisa as she maybe has in the past. But my sister reminded me that there's this other side of Kyle. Like, okay, if we go back to the Kyle and Kim thing, maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I always sided with Kim because I have a sister who's like my absolute best friend. And to me, you always stand by your sister. You don't take a side against your sister. It's like Kim famously said in Amsterdam, Kathy would have my back like a real sister. (laughs) Which has always made me die laughing because as we know, Kathy Hilton is not exactly a kind person. Anytime she's on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, like for any type of family event, she's sort of like, lightly criticizing Kim and Kyle. She's like, are you really going to wear that color? It's not a great color on you. So like the idea to me that Kathy is a real sister, quote unquote, who would have Kim's back is hilarious. But I do believe that in that sense, Kathy is perhaps a more loyal sister than Kyle is because Kyle has taken every opportunity to turn on her sister and to bring out things that are very personal that like, you know, frankly, just in poor taste. I mean, it's it's not that I don't love seeing it because I do. And I am grateful in a sense that Kyle airs their dirty laundry. But, you know, I do see Kim's side and I always have. And I, and I have always felt that Kyle kind of capitalizes on other people's vulnerability or weakness at, at times. And, and so my sister brought this up and she wondered, you know, with LVP's The Passing of Her Brother, and particularly the circumstances, you know, it's really tough. And and is Kyle sort of seeing this opportunity to take LVP down when she is at her most vulnerable? I don't know. I guess that's another thing that we're going to have to sort of debate across this season. And I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth. I think it's going to be a heated sort of a, a conflict, perhaps, between fans. I don't think we're talking like... Bethany versus Carol level conflict, which, you know, frankly, guys, I've rewatched that whole last season and that reunion is painful. Like I couldn't, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And don't mark my words on that because I probably will watch it again because I've seen all these episodes about a thousand times, but I don't, I didn't feel when I was watching it, it was just so tense, so upsetting to see the disillusion of this friendship. You know, it's like, I don't think I can do it again. I can, however, watch the Columbia boat trip probably, uh, you know, I could watch it every day till, till I'm dead and I would be 
so happy, so grateful to have lived the life that I did. Wow. Wow, you guys. Wow. Wow, Bethany. Wow. Um, you know, it really never gets old. But back to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. What else happened in this first episode? I mean, obviously, we met Denise Richards, who we all already know from our dreams, from our fantasies, from our childhoods, from wild things, from Starship Troopers, as Erica referenced. I mean, so many different things. I'm into the attraction between Denise Richards and Erica Jane. I'm turned on by it. I enjoy it. I like it. Um, also, Dorit. Uh, I, do, I don't know that I believe that Dorit got robbed. Um, you know, I think that they're having some financial problems and... It just seems a little suspicious to me. It seems a little convenient to me that they would suddenly have a robbery. Um, so uh, we we heard about that with Dorit. We met Denise Richards. And, um, you know, like, people seem to be getting along. Lisa Rinna's being a star. I think that people are starting to turn on Lisa Rinna, though. Like, just what I've observed from the larger Housewives community, from, like, some Facebook groups that I'm in, it seems like... Fans are feeling like Lisa Rinna is too high on her own supply. And now, this is a big housewives problem that happens to at least one person every season. I personally don't feel that way. Like, I'm living for everything that Lisa Rinna wants to give us. Obviously, those of us that followed Andy Cohen's baby shower know, I mean, that she just made such an impact there. And I can only hope that this season she'll continue like that. Or obviously, she film the season before the baby shower, but I'm just hoping that the baby shower is a continuation of the type of energy that maybe we'll see this season. So uh, that's basically it for Beverly Hills. And we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you all about returning to Survivor fandom after a two season break. Hi, I'm back with Know It All. That's me. And um we're going to transition into like a shorter segment about Survivor because I'm not really sure how many people still watch Survivor out there or if anyone who would want to listen to me talk actually cares about Survivor anymore. You guys, I love Survivor. I've seen almost every episode of almost every season and you know, the last couple seasons there were a series of winners that like when it came to the final tribal council, you know, and it, for those of you who haven't seen it, when you get to that final tribal council, it's like everyone who's been eliminated votes basically for who they think deserves it the most. And that person has to prove of the two or three people who are finalists, you know, did they outplay? Did they outwit? Did they outlast? So there were a series of seasons that happened where like, instead of talking about that outwit, outplay, outlast, like some people kind of use things going on in their personal lives, like, and brought that into that final tribal council and wound up winning. And I didn't know that these people were necessarily, in my mind, deserving of the win. And I didn't like the tactic 
of like talking about things that are going on in your personal life, like things that didn't happen there on the island or using things that you've experienced as an excuse for like the, maybe the way you treated people or mistreated people while you were there. I like people who like stand by their game and are strong in that and, you know, just, just are themselves and are try to be authentic and transparent. Those are the types of players that I respect. So I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And then Survivor came up with this concept for a season called Ghost Island, which my boyfriend always says they should really have called it a Survivor Reverse the Curse, not Ghost Island, because what it is is they took basically all these different advantages that people had had and squandered in past seasons, but they had this really ridiculous concept where they were like, they were like, this uh, misused idol has been gathering powers on Ghost Island for the last 10 years. And like, now it's a full hidden immunity idol, even though it was a stick that people tried to convince where it was a hidden immunity idol. So they have this whole weird concept and I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't into it. I didn't watch it. Next season, David versus Goliath. That was like a little more intriguing to me. I didn't watch it. And then I saw, because the season that is about to start airing this week is a it's called Survivor Edge of Extinction, and it's going to feature four returning players. And one of them is like my favorite player ever, Aubrey, um, who I relate to because she had like a panic attack on like the first or second day that she got there in her first season and just like had a complete breakdown. And I just really related to the way that like her anxiety and her fears got the better of her in that situation. And then after that, she just was so strong um, physically, mentally, all of that. And she made it all the way to the finals. So I just really related to and respected her game. So she'll be back. Kelly Wentworth, who I like, will be back. David from Gen X versus Millennials, who I really enjoyed, will be back. And, um, Survivor is still trying to make Joe happen. Joe is like a, you know, he's like a handsome-ish mountain man type that, uh, I guess like 12-year-old girls who watch the show really like. But he's coming back. So anyway, when I heard about that, I was reading about this new season, Edge of Extinction, and I saw that in this article that they said that David vs. Goliath was one of the top five seasons ever. So I was like, you know what? Let me watch this. Like, if I'm going to dip back in, it should be with a great season. David vs. Goliath did not disappoint, folks. I'm not going to give any spoilers for that. I'm considering recapping dynamic episodes of edge of extinction if uh if they call for it like if they're exciting enough i'll definitely bring them up but all i can say is david versus goliath is 100 worth watching if you watch the first couple seasons of survivor and you're curious to see where it's gone because now we're almost to the 30th season then check out david versus goliath just like give it a whirl like all the characters are great um i was really happy with the winner I was, um, you know, there was somebody that I would have preferred to win, but I, I think it all worked out for the best. And, and it was incredibly entertaining. No one was annoying. You know, I immediately felt attached to a lot of these personalities. And Mike White from School of Rock, who he also wrote School of Rock and wrote Nacho Libre, he is actually a contestant on David vs. Goliath. So um, I would really recommend checking that one out. If you're curious, if you want to dip back in, if you dipped out at any given point, um, and give me your feedback, guys. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know if you want to hear more about Survivor, or if that's something that you're not as interested in. Um, we're going to take a little break. And when we return, I'm going to tell you, we're going to delve into a slightly more serious topic. We're going to talk a little bit about the Amazon Prime documentary, um, 
Jordan Peele presents uh, Lorena, the story of Lorena Bobbitt, which some of you may remember, she cut her husband's dick off. And this story just sort of like reexamines that entire narrative. And it's fascinating. And I can't wait to dip into it with you guys. So um, be right back with Lorena. Okay, so we're back. I just added an interlude. I also realized that in my intro, I should have selected Top Man as background music. So guys, I'm new to Anchor. Just roll with me with this. And um, hopefully next time I can be like a little more on top of all these technological elements. I'm getting it. It's very easy to use. Thank you, Anchor. Um, So here we are talking about Lorena, Amazon Prime's new four-part documentary about Lorena Bobbitt. If you guys like true crime, I felt like this really turned the genre on its head. Like, we're used to seeing in a true crime story, like, bad things happening to people, like whether it's someone who's been wrongfully accused or it's um victims being mistreated or, you know, just all kind of the legal system and, and its myriad of issues. Then we're seeing a lot of that. And Lorena kind of has a different vibe where, yes, we're talking a lot about really hard stuff with Lorena, like domestic violence and, uh, you know, the rights of immigrants and um, just general, you know, sort of uh, women's rights issues. And but we're also talking about, you know, kind of a, a story where a woman was actually heard, seen, understood, and somewhat protected, you know, by the system and by other people. So I don't want to give too much away about this documentary, but I I was really moved by it. And I think whoever made it, whoever the the document the documentary filmmaker was, they really created a lot of moments in the interviewer, in the interviews with uh, you know, different witnesses and people related to the case in other ways, and even with John Wayne Bobbitt, that were very surprising, emotional, added a lot of layers, a lot of depth to it. You know, uh, it really let you see that everyone's experience is complicated and everyone is touched by abuse in different ways and and reacts to abuse in different ways, whether it's you know, uh, there was one little story that I can tell you about how um, there was a community of immigrants from Latin America who wanted to come and support Lorena Bobbitt because uh, she was all alone in this country. And she was originally from Ecuador, I believe, and her family was in Venezuela. And um, so she was all alone here, basically, in the United States when all this was going down. And so they came to her trial to support her from all over the area, from all over Virginia and Maryland and DC area. And this one woman, an activist says she took the train there and then she called a cab and she realized she didn't have enough money for the cab. She only had about $5. And that she said, the cab driver said, don't worry about it. You know, my mother was a victim of domestic violence. And it was just all these like little quiet, unspoken slash spoken things where people were like, no, I'm not going to just be silent about this or I am going to support this person or understand this person and her struggles and her story and not just minimize it the way that culture did to like turn it into a punchline. Like, like, haha, Lorena Bobbitt, she chopped her husband's dick off and men like having their own sort of anxieties about that, about, 
as we know, that's a deep psychological issue for many men. So um, I found it to be really profound, really moving. And I'm going to give it a high, high, high recommend. Everyone should check it out. It, it, uh, it's definitely a twist on the genre that was refreshing and um, moving and dare I say inspiring. So I hope that everybody takes the time to watch Lorena. Um, and uh, when we return, I'm kind of just going to transition into talking about the Democratic field of candidates for president, which I was reminded by because during Lorena, you know, we learn about how during the Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill uh, situation, how Joe Biden was so terrible. Joe Biden, by the way, is probably running for president. And, you know, was just like the worst type of man and his questioning of Anita Hill and trying to make her seem like a liar, just really grotesque stuff. But Joe Biden is also responsible for drafting the Violence Against Women Act, which, you know, uh, this story, the story of Lorena Bobbitt, as well as Nicole Brown Simpson and a lot of situations at that time led to the the significance and the and the drafting and passing of this bill, the Violence Against Women Act. So, um, you know, Joe, he's a mixed bag. I'd say mostly bad in my opinion, but, uh, we'll be back and we'll talk a little bit about politics and then wrap it up. Guys, I'm back and, um, you know, I'm already exhausted by the Democrats this time around. Full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a registered Democrat. I consider myself probably closer to like, uh, a a communist, but, you know, I know that's not really a realistic goal for our nation. That's just sort of what my beliefs are deep down inside, if I was completely honest about them. But, uh, you know, I don't believe in inherited wealth and, um, I believe in communal living and I believe in, you know, equality ultimately. But when it comes to elections, I 100% will vote Democrat. And, um, you know, I tend to look for more progressive candidates and I'm very passionate about progressive politics. But um, I'm exhausted, guys. I'm exhausted. So we know already we know that we've probably got Biden. We know, well, officially Kamala Harris, who is a cop, let's be honest, in the worst possible way. Um, We already know that she's running. I don't even know. I don't know who has a chance. You know, she's running. Elizabeth Warren's running on the slightly more progressive end. Um, Bernie's probably going to run again. Uh, who else do we have? People saying uh, Beto O'Rourke from Texas that he's going to run. Julian Castro. Um, Kristen Gillibrand. Is it Gillibrand or Gillibrand? I never know, even though she's my senator here in the state of New York. Um, you know, she's running and Honestly, I don't love any of them and I'm not super excited. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared, you guys, because I strongly believe that voters need to feel really passionate and excited and supportive of someone. And like the only Democrat who I feel like has that type of passion and excitement behind them right now is, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, you know, our our millennial hero. But as we know, she's only 29 years old, so she's not able to run for president. And she is gaining experience and doing things that, you know, are going to help us and make a noise in Congress. So we need her in Congress. And, you know, we'd all love to have her as president one day. But I just don't know that there's anyone that we're that excited about. 
this time around. And that scares me. Um, but there's a wide range. There's centrist. There's Biden and Kamala that are sort of more centrist. And Beto, I guess, he talks a big game like he's a progressive. But from what I understand, in, in Texas especially, which I don't know if it's like that he's from Texas or that he he's a, a legislator in Texas or or that uh, maybe he really is just that conservative, but he has voted very conservative and done a lot of compromise with Republicans in his state, which I understand is necessary when you live in a state like that. But I don't know. I don't know that I love it. I it, it makes me nervous when somebody says one thing and does another, you know, like it's it's just not especially a politician. That's not what you want from a politician. So I'm suspicious of him. Don't love him. So he's kind of like lying in the middle there with Kristen Gillibrand, who definitely is like a big money person, definitely like a Wall Street friendly person. But she's um tried to be a little more progressive on certain issues over time. I know she has a bad record on gun control, guys. So does Bernie Sanders. But let's think about where they're from, Vermont and upstate New York. So people there do hunt, you know, people there love their guns and maybe it's not great, but that's kind of an issue that uh, for me, I get that it's very, very deeply important to a lot of people and people are frightened of mass shootings and the culture that we live in. You know, I think if we address domestic violence, then that would really take care of mass shootings because as we know, majority of mass shooters are also domestic abusers. So, um, that's just my two cents on that whole thing. But then we have, you know, sort of slightly more progressive people like Elizabeth Warren. And uh, I think it's going to be just really fascinating to see how everything pans out. Now, I've heard that Democrats, what they're doing for the debates is basically they have some really (laughs) just sort of confusing all these different things that they're going to evaluate people based on. And they're going to have the debate in two nights, I guess. And then they're going to whittle down the field based on polls over time. But it's not going to be like what we had in 2016 with the Republicans, where there was like the A squad debate and then the B squad debate. It's not going to be like that. Guys, remember Carly Fiorina? Remember Ben Carson? Remember these people? I mean, wow. (laughs) That was, they were a lot. That whole, that was all a lot. Honestly, they were a lot worse than what we, the Democrats, have to show for ourselves this time. So, guys, I'm just going to cross my heart. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to hope for the best for this country and and for for myself and for all of you. I'm going to hope that eventually we can bring down capitalism because late stage capitalism is ruining all of our lives and responsible for most of our misery. Uh, So on that really, really joyful note about the misery of late stage capitalism and, you know, the conditions of my depression, anxiety in life, uh, student loans, all that business then I'm just going to kind of close it out for today. This is my first episode, you guys. Thank you so much for being here with me. And, um, you know, I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope that you feel free to let me know different things that you want to talk about, different shows that you're interested in. And I hope that I can address them and make you laugh and just uh, have a good time with with the world that we live in today, with all of its absurdity, all of its joy, all of its trauma. So thank you for being here. This is uh, Know It All. I'm your host, and I'll see you next time.